Well, good morning. Oh, come on. Come on. Uh, hey, welcome to church. Uh, we are starting our new series this morning called Welcome to Church. And as you heard last week uh, from Brian's first sermon last week, uh, he was really, really excited about this series, uh, as am I, and as are we as elders. And I hope you uh, have been uh, really excited and just, just waiting for this this morning. We have got a lot of work to do. Uh, just an just intro really quick of where we're heading over the next 13 weeks. Uh, in for the last 10 weeks of that 13-week series, we're going to be looking at um, commitments that we make to the church as a, as a body. And so the elders have spent really, gosh, almost the last year kind of thinking through this and praying through this and uh, trying to word things in such a way uh, that are memorable and make sense and are clear and um, really give clear action steps on what it is that, what it means to be a member of this church. And so the last 10 weeks of the 13-week series are going to be on what those five commitments are. There's going to be two, two sermons on each of those uh, commitments. But we started thinking about that. We said, like, well, we can start with, like, what are the commitments that we're asking the church to commit to? That Obviously, that includes us as members. The elders are members of this church. Uh, and then the Lord obviously gave us uh, clearer in insight into don't start there. Start with a couple sermons before that. And what those sermons are going to be, starting with this morning, is what is God's commitment? So it's this four-way commitment thing where we say we're committing to the church. But then there's this, we've got to start here to say God's committed to this thing. If God's not committed to this thing, why in the world should we be committed to this thing? And then next week, we're going to talk about what uh, is the commitment of the leadership of the church, what you should expect from leaders, maybe even what you should not expect from leadership. And then we'll talk about what we should expect from each other on that level. And then uh, in four weeks, we'll get to what are the commitments of us and what we're actually committing to uh, the church. So we've got a really fun journey ahead. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be putting out small group questions uh, every single week. And so there's, this is not just a monologue. This is an opportunity for a lot of dialogue, even within small groups, uh, to really kind of kick this stuff around. And then, uh, as Brian mentioned last week, we'll have open discussions with the elders. We'll have three of those uh, on Tuesday nights. First one is September 5th, and we'll meet up at the Flex Space at our office. And uh, that's not just to come if you have questions or disagreements or whatever else, but it's a time where let's get together and just talk more about this because there's a lot more than what we can say in our little bit of time together during a sermon. And so uh, we'll, do a, we'll do the first I think that's the first five sermons or so, and then we'll have an elder uh, open discussion. And I hope that's not, like, intimidating. Uh, I do put my pants on one leg at a time, and elders are not intended to be, like, it's not like an interrogation or anything scary like that. We are humans, okay? We are humans, and we are members of this church, and we just want to listen maybe even more than we talk those nights. So one thing we won't really be discussing a ton, which I would love to, but that would make it like a 20 week sermon series, uh, is there's some just kind of assumptions that we're making here, okay? When we talk about our commitment to the church and God's commitment to us as a church, some, some of the assumptions that we're making is that we are committed to Christ, okay? That we are a, a community of people that are all together different. And so I would love to spend like a whole series talking about disciplines and what it means for you to pursue the Lord on your own. But what we're talking about in this series is how we pursue him together, how we as a community commit uh, to one another and pursue him together. But we are a different community. I sure hope so, right? We are a very different counter-cultural body than what's happening in the world. We are living in a different kingdom, right? We serve a different king than who a lot of the world serves. Next year, as Brian mentioned, is 2024, and uh, we will be dragged, we'll be, the world will attempt to drag us into a different kingdom. A kingdom that grabs all of your allegiance and all of your care and all of your blood pressure. But here, we're just about a different kingdom. It's just a different kingdom. We're just talking about different things right here. Those things matter only to the extent that we're talking about his kingdom. This is the intro. Here we go. Um, so before we can talk about what we're committed to, I've got to move this. I watched Brian do this all last week. I was worried he was going to trip. Okay. 
Oh, thank you. We need each other. All right. So before we talk about what we're committed to, we've got to talk about what is it that God is committed to. God is committed to this church. Uh, I thought the best way maybe to picture this this morning is the way that God pictures it, okay? And what God does is he gives us images. He gives us pictures in Scripture when he talks about his church. And we all know about pictures. We have a weird relationship right now with photos, don't we? Okay, if you were to pull out your phone, we have a strange relationship with photos. Like when I go to my parents' house, they can show me like a slideshow of all of the pictures that they own. Of like, here's the one picture we have when we were dating. Here's like the three pictures from our wedding. Us, it's like, here's the bagel that I had for breakfast this morning. It's very strange how many photos we have on this. If I ask you about your vacation this summer, you probably pull out your phone. You say, oh, this was a great moment. Look at the kids in the ocean and all this kind of stuff. And so we, we know what it means to like picture things, okay? And so God does the same thing. He gives us pictures of his church all throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's, I was thinking today, this is kind of a, a strange uh, thought, but I was thinking like, I feel bad for my kids. Like, like whenever my parents pass, I'm going to have to go through all their like actual physical pictures. Like what are our kids going to do? Like with the cloud or whatever we have, like all up there in the cloud. I thought that'd be funny in my will to leave like, Micah, you get the house. Caleb, you get the cloud. <laughs> So God gives us these really important pictures, okay? And he, even here in, uh, in the New Testament, he gives us at least like seven pictures of what uh, the church is. And he gives this picture of a flock. He gives this picture of a family. Then there's like this, these military terms, like we are an army. The church is an army. And then he says we are a field. We're God's field. And then he says we are, his, we are a building, very building. God is actually building this thing up to create the, the, the temple of God. And then he says, we are the body of Christ. And then he says, we are the bride of Christ. So that's at least seven. So I thought about trying to get through all seven of those. I'm like, no, that's like a whole Bible study. That would be a fun thing for you, for you to do on your own. We're just going to try and tackle two this morning. The temptation was strong to try and do seven, but we're just going to do two. And it's the last two. We're going to talk about how he gives us the picture of the body of and the bride. Okay, so that is the outline this morning, how God is, we see God's commitment to his church, his unshakable commitment to his church by showing us that we are his body and we are his bride. And what you're gonna see is a God who has a pounding heart for his church, for us as his people. Before we can start thinking we're gonna commit to this thing, and like say, yeah, we're all in. We gotta figure out, is God really all in to this thing? So this morning, uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb just a little bit. Um, and wanna let you in a little bit into a world uh, that, uh, that, I, that I live in, okay? The world that I live in, I have, whoever gets the cloud, Caleb, uh, whenever I pass away, you're gonna find in my notes app, uh, there is just nonstop notes always happening. I dictate stuff. I'm constantly talking on this thing. It's the only person that will listen to me. No. Um, but I'm just always writing down thoughts and ideas for sermons and ideas for the church and prayers for my kids and prayers for my wife and prayers for you and all this stuff. And so this, this week, I was actually like prepping for this and I had this whole thing set up, it's ready to, ready to go, and this week I had the chance to go on a run, which is like awesome, I love doing that, and the Lord just sort of inspires me when I'm on a run, and I stopped when I was on a run, and I just like said into my phone what I'm about to read to you. And this is just an opportunity for me to say a couple things about the church. Not necessarily exchange church, but just the church. I want you to hear uh, how I think about the church. I'm going to let you in. This kind of serves as like a journal slash letter slash uh, locker room pep talk. And I think uh, even up until like five minutes ago, the, uh, the, uh, the enemy was like, Ed, I think you should dial it down. I think you should just kind of like tone it down a little bit. It's Sunday morning. Everybody's tired. They don't need this. So I kicked him in the face and I said, we're not doing that. Okay, because I believe that God has got something very unique 
for exchange in the next 13 weeks. And I hope you guys feel it too. So I'm a church planter. I don't know if I can still say that. I guess we're not a church plant anymore. I guess we're like a real church. I don't know what that means. But, uh, and people would typically ask me like, you know, even now, like, how do you, how do you feel about the church? Like you, you raised support for six years as your family. You moved away to come here to raise support for six years to support this thing and not take a paycheck for a while and like give your life to this thing this exchange church slash like church. And, uh, and you've seen the data on church, right? You know that like the game film on us right now isn't, isn't great. The church is not putting its best foot forward. Um, and so people are asking like, why would you give your life to this thing? And so uh, this is what came out okay. for us, for me, for you. dictated this, said, I've seen the Gallup polls and the Barna polls and the blah, blah, blah polls and seen the condition and stats and heard about the downfall of the church and how the next generation is going to fall apart. And I've read about how the church is in decline and how people don't trust the church and how people are not committed anymore and how people just stayed home after COVID and how uh, giving is way down across the board. I've heard all the news and honestly, I'm tired of it. I know the numbers on people deconstructing their faith. And the sadness of people walking away from the organized church. I've read a lot of stuff on this. One more article. I've seen the game film. Lord knows the church has some bad game film right now. I've seen churches get confused on their calling and try to make the Bible about American politics. I've seen the documentaries on church, on churches, on the churches we're supposed to cancel and whose songs we're not supposed to sing anymore. I've seen the ongoing scandals with celebrity pastors. Another one bites the dust. I've heard this to no end and blah, and blah, and blah, 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 blah. Here's the problem. We hear all of this, and we as the church start hanging our heads and start feeling sorry for the church. So let me be very, very clear. I do not feel sorry for the church. I do not feel sorry for the church because Christ is on his throne. Christ is the head of the church. Who is this Christ? He is the one who created this world and created the church. He's the one who willingly gave his life for her. He's the one who will return, defeat the enemy forever, and will marry his bride. There will be a wedding. And as long as Jesus Christ is the head of the church, I will never feel sorry for her. The church has as much vitality and energy as it ever has had because Christ, the power source, has not stepped off the throne. No president or legislation or documentary or headline can kick him off this throne. So here's the actual news. The actual news is right now the church is exploding in Asia. And there's a growing hunger even here in the U.S. And it's growing in Africa, and the church is as powerful as she has ever been. Christians all over the world are suffering and dying for their faith, as God said that they would. I got an email just this week from a friend of mine serving in one of the most dangerous places in the Middle East. He took a massive risk in sharing his faith this week. And now a young Muslim leader is reading Genesis with him. The media is not going to show you this. Our eyes are watching the wrong news. Here, in this very place, with this very people that sit among you, Christians every day in this church are living out their faith. You and I are living as full-time ministers in the places that God has sent us to live, work, and play. Parents in this church are holding out their Bibles in front of their children, telling them the greatest story ever told, impacting generations for years and years to come. Parents of teenagers are daily pleading before the Lord in tears that God would grip the heart of their teen. And many of you are going to work every day in the war zone of culture and standing strong, having humble conversations and winning people with love. And I could not be more proud of this church. Keep on 
This is the church, our church. And the church is thriving and the church is rising and the church is growing and the church, just like we have a resurrected king, we are part of a resurrected church. Don't feel sorry for her. Instead, let's commit to her. I have tremendous hope for Exchange Church because Christ is on the throne. He is the cornerstone. He is the head. I have hope because Christ is the head of this church. Not because Ed and Brian and Todd and Ray and Doug are elders of this church. We are not the head of this church. Christ is the head of this church, and he is not done with her yet. And he holds all things together, and not just this church, but the world. He holds the whole world together, and he, ho- and he grows it up into the head, which is Christ. And in the meanwhile, he says, you are my body, and I'll give you this body to reflect me in the world. So as we step into this series, <laughs> let me ask this. Still talking into my phone. Is God allowed to do whatever he wants with this room? Man, is God allowed to do whatever he wants with all of the lives and all of the people in this room? Are we going to be a church who's fully surrendered to the king? Are we going to white knuckle the closets and the secret rooms in our hearts that we won't allow him into? I'm talking to the oldest people in this room. I'm talking to the middle-aged people in this room. And I'm talking to the youth in this room who might have allowed the enemy to convince them that a series on the church does not apply to them. We have a king who longs for our allegiance. So this series is about a king entering the room with the Holy Spirit and turning some tables over. He's seen the condition of our hearts and he wants to flip the tables over and clean house and get us where he wants us to be for maximum impact in his kingdom. We are the bride of Christ, and we can't forget who we're engaged to. He's passionately pursuing us and making plans for a wedding and a feast. So please, whatever you do, do not feel sorry for the church. It's when we start feeling sorry for ourselves that we think we're on the losing team, and I can promise you we are not on the losing team. The church of Christ must stop stop acting like losers. We're part of something here, something deep and robust and gritty and significant. And with this power source, we hold our heads high and we deny ourselves and we link arms and we go after something that will ring true forever. That's what this series is going to be about. It's about paying attention to the right news and restoring a sense of awe for what God has created right here in this moment with these people in this place. Who's in? Let's pray toward that end. Father, we need you. God, this thing has never been, nor will ever be about us. Show us your face this morning. Show us what you think about your bride. I cannot believe that you allow me (laughs) and the people in this room to be part of something like this. God, challenge us like you never have before. God, we offer these next 13 weeks to you. May people forget these words but may we remember what you say. Spirit, fill this room. Fill the hearts of your people in such a way that we commit to one another and we commit to you with revitalized energy and strength and passion for that which matters above all else. Do that, Lord. We can't wait to watch and see what you do. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, here we go. You ready? Now we'll get to the actual sermon. 1 Corinthians 12 is where we'll start. God has committed, his first picture he wants to give us is to a body. He gives us this picture of a body. We are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse, uh, we'll start with verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, all of the members of the body, though many, 
are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it uh, any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there were many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not uh, require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So a couple things here we're going to see that God, just in this little picture, just in this picture, he says, we're like, so tell us about your church. Tell us about your commitment to your church. And he says, oh, let me show you, let me show you a couple pictures. This first picture is the body, okay? And we see what, he, what it looks like here to be the body of Christ. And so some of the things that we see that he's committed to, even as he commits to the body, is he's committed to a diversity of parts, emphasizing the value of each one, okay? So he's committed to a diversity of parts, emphasizing the value in each one. And he lists through a couple of things here. He's got the foot, he's got the hand, he mentions the ear, he mentions the eye, he mentions the nose, he mentions the head. And you think about just the diversity of even the human body. And then you look at the church and the diversity of the people, even in this room, the different giftings and the different stories and the different heritage and the different hurdles and the different life that's led, that's led, led up to this point. What everybody brings into to the room, there's just a great diversity. And so God is committed to a delegated and diverse ministry, saying like, you have a very specific role. You have a very specific role. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And you can't do this unless they do that. And they can't do that unless you do this. And there's this interconnectedness of this human body. All these diversity of parts saying that each part matters so tremendously. You look at the difference between like a foot and a heart. Like even if you're in med school and you want to uh, be a doctor that works on feet, is that a podiatrist, I think? Yes. Um, Or you want to be a cardiologist, totally different schools. Totally different schools, totally different buildings you go to. We're going to send you to the heart doctor. We're going to send you from this building to this building because that part is so... um, uh, valuable, and that part is so unique, okay, and it's so important. And so a lot of times one of our issues is that as a church, we think like, I want to be this part. I'm jealous that I'm not that part. I want to sing like Jesse. I want to be Jesse. Guess what? We don't need another Jesse. Lord knows we don't need another Jesse because Jesse's Jesse. Whitney's Whitney. I don't need to be them because they're, they're the toenail. They're the toe. <laughs> Toenails matter, right? I'm maybe the fungus on that toenail, all right? We need all of these, all of these parts. And the problem in the church is sometimes we think I want to be that thing, and then the envy drives me to a place um, that I'm not actually functioning and working together. I just want to take their spot. So there's great value of each part and how it serves the whole. One of the cool things about the body and even the church is that it's a life-giving and life-receiving organism, okay? It gives life and it receives life. And so a organism, not an organization, but an organism addresses needs in the moment, right? The The human body is just unbelievable. Like if you really want to uh, kind of like, I don't know, spice up your, your worship time or your like time in the Bible, like pick up like a biology book and just start reading about the human body. Just study the human body and then know that you were fearfully and wonderfully made and that there's a God who like sewed all that together and he takes this part, 
it works with this part and this part works with this part. You think about all these glands that have to work together and you think about when it gets really hot in here or we're doing setup and then the sweat glands are like, okay, now it's my time to kick, kick into action. And so some of us in this church are even like the sweat glands of exchange. You know who you are. Uh, Annie's, my daughter's knees, my seven-year-old's knees, like if you look at her knees, they would say she had a great summer, okay, because she's riding her scooter, she bit it a bunch of times, and she's just got scabs all over her knees. I'm like, that's my girl right there, you know? And so like scab teams start showing up, and they start doing their little thing, and like the human body is unbelievable as it just kind of mutually works together and has these creative responses, and that's a little bit more of what the church looks like, and God's committed to that. He says, like, somebody's coming in here this morning with scabbed knees, I mean, with, like, bloody knees. I need scab team to show up. I need somebody to come around and help them figure out what's going on. As opposed to coming in on a Sunday morning and being like, I just, I just need. And that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Right? But it's not okay to stay that way. And so it changes how we come in this place where we start to serve the needs for the needy around us where you think like, man, I have a role here. I'm actually like part of the sweat glands that like help people breathe when their blood pressure is rising and they're out of control and they're too hot. Like I, I, can, I can fill that, that role and I actually have a space here and a unique responsibility here. And God's saying like, oh, trust me, I'm so committed to this thing that I've put you in the place, the exact place that you need to be to come alongside of that person that's in the exact place that they need to be. If you, have, if you question God's commitment to this thing, just look at the intricate value of how he's wired together a body, especially in the church. I think about one of my favorite stories I've heard recently about exchange is somebody who was in the new, the new member class, uh, the Become class recently, said, they shared a story and said, like, man, I came in, and uh, one Sunday morning, it was like my, one of my first visits, not really, really many people knew me, and I just kind of was, I'd had a rough week, and I was needy, and this, this one person just, he talked to me, somehow he got my phone number, I'm driving down the road, and he calls me midweek. He just called me. And it, wasn't, it was like, dude, a dude and a dude, you know, dudes don't call like, hey, you know, it's just like... Just, dude, hey, man, thought about you. Thought about you this week. Been, been, been praying for you. You, you, you want to talk anymore? No, I'm a dude. I don't talk. You know? and like, but I'm just still, still praying for you. And this guy in the class said, like, that just meant everything. That a guy would be thinking about me enough to, like, find my phone number somehow, creepy, and call me just to, like, check in on me. The best part of that story is the guy that called was not named Brian Cahoot or Ed Martin, or one of our elders. Just a guy, right? Just part of the team, part of the body, that met a real need in a real time and a real moment, and then said, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. And I hope it's never preached about in a sermon, but like, we're not going to put down the website. But that's the church meeting a real need at a real time with a real person. I love those kinds of stories. There's endless stories like that all across this, this church. And so there's things like that where the church, when you think about the body, it's not the body just like creatively responds when it has a need to meet. And so sometimes even like in small group, if something happens, like if somebody really needs prayer, one of the things, duh, so obvious that we started doing is like, hey, why don't we stop and pray for that right now? As opposed to like, well, this is not, this is not, we're in Bible study. This is not dedicated prayer time. We do prayer at the end. We do our five minutes of prayer, we gather our prayer, and then we, we pray for this stuff at the end. No, no, no. Let's be flexible, right, as an as a organism, and pause right there and intercede. So that's been some of the most powerful moments we've had even in a small group. So it's this complex system of systems. And um, next, week, next week, Brian's going to preach on, like, what are some of those systems? One of those systems is leadership. So some people want the church to just be organic. What they mean by that is just like free for all. Okay, but it, the church is the most organic thing imaginable because it is an organism, right, that is a living being that is responding to the actual needs that we have. And so leadership is one of those structures where if you've ever done an organic garden, it probably requires more structure and more work. 
And so uh, the parts of the body really matter. And God's committed to this diversity of parts and our neediness for the other people in this room. That's why we always say, and there's a place where you can be needy and needed. Needy and needed. And you are needed in this place. And so when people early on would ask me, they still ask me, like, how's the church going? You know, I'm raising support, and like my parents or whoever would ask, how's it going? And I, I'm not trying to like Jesus juke them or whatever, but like I knew that what they're asking is like, are your numbers growing? How's the giving and things like that? And I just always use that as a moment, like, well, let me teach them about what the church is. How's it going? And I would always think of a person, one of you, and I would tell a story with a name attached to it. So they say like right now, if somebody said, if somebody were to say, what's right now, how's the church going right now? I would say, um, man, it's pretty incredible. Let me, let me tell you about um, Kyle Swicegood. You guys know Kyle Swicegood? Goodness. I mean, I mean you're, you're talking about a dude that's the real deal. His face is not on our website. You're talking about a guy who is incredibly generous, who right now is currently praying massive prayers that are way bigger than him, who leads his wife in vulnerability and community, avoids the spotlight. I'd say the church is doing really well because the church is Kyle Swicegood. And so what I want to say during this series is, man, you don't realize the masterpieces that are sitting to your left and right. I mean, these, these people that got these fragments that God has like brought together into this thing to become something, how would he do that? Maybe it's an accident. Maybe this person just stumbled in off the street. I don't think so. He's brought this fragment to like attach to you as this masterpiece that sits around you. And the whole time you hear God saying, you, you, you think I'm committed to this thing? Oh, yeah. Evidence that I'm committed to you are the names of the people that I've placed around you. So he's committed to um, a diversity of parts. He's committed to our growth. God is committed to our growth, this mutual maturation of shaping and forming and chiseling, maturing. Okay, there's so much language here about like this building and God growing this thing. Look at these passages. This is just, man, we'll never have enough time for this. Here we go. Ephesians 2. Look at Ephesians 2. Uh, I'll back up. Let's do verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create, that he might, this is the purpose, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Listen to this. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God as membership in the Bible, yes. Members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being built to join together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the active nature of what God's doing here on a regular basis. He's building us into a people, and he's committed to our growth and our building and forming us into something that really matters. Let's flip over a page to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. This is really important. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip as the purpose of pastors, as the purpose of, of your leaders. This is, our, this is my job description. Um, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, full-time ministers, 
for building up the body of Christ until this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed, be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, who from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He's so committed to the church as his body that he's putting all these integral parts together and he's committed to growing us. He has a vision of what he wants us to look like as a people and he's committing to do that. Matthew 16, Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church. You could literally spend the next week of Bible study just cutting that thing apart like a tomahawk steak. Just I, pronoun, will, absolute, build action my, not yours, <laughs> my church. You could spend the rest of your week just on that little thing right there. So God's committed to this thing to build this thing. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. I, this is Paul saying, I uh, planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. Who does the growing around here? God does the growing. So neither he who plants, it is, so, sorry. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So God is the one who gives the growth. So God's committed to this mutual maturation and growth. And these people that he puts alongside of you create this interdependent kind of growth relationship. So sometimes he brings these people around, you're like, man, I can't imagine life without this person. There's people here, you're like, I cannot imagine life without this person. And people actually say that about you. Imagine that. I can't imagine this without them. But we also know that with the church comes along some hard relationships. Have you ever been in a family before? And so the church is this forge that heats it up to this perfect temperature, much like Apparently, there's a temperature you have to make coffee at. What's, what's that temperature? Somebody knows that. Well, I know two guys that know that. It's like the perfect temperature, but it's these conditions that have to be, uh, that are necessary in which cause growth. And so sometimes you wonder, like, why does this person have to be in my life? In the church of all places. I would say, and I've used this before, I would say, like, the church is like a, a, a riverbed. Right, you look at, look at stones on the bottom of a river and they're like all smooth. They didn't start that way, right? They're these jagged rocks as life and currents run over them, run over them, run over them, they bump up against each other. Right, they bump against each other and they're like smoothed out over time. And so the reality of, in then saying that is that you have jagged edges. I have jagged edges. When I bump up against people, those jagged edges don't feel great. And when people bump up against my awesomeness, it doesn't feel great either. And I'm like, God, we'll just remove them from my life so I don't have to deal with that anymore. He says, you can do that, but you'll never grow. As my dad always says, there's no growth in comfort. There's no growth in comfort. So God in his sovereignty and his brilliance, he's put us in community with people that are not all smooth. I know you're thinking about somebody else right now. You should be thinking about you. I'm thinking about me. I need to think about me. And so it's this picture of almost like if you've ever done wood, uh, wood, woodworking where it's like this lathe where, you know, it starts out as this like cube looking thing of, of wood and they take this chisel, you know, it's just like chunks and chunks and chunks of wood are flying off and it's like God's just like chiseling us. Like how did it get to be like a spindle that's on a crib? How did it get to be like that little spindle? Well, it's just like really, really hard, right? Just chunks and all that stuff flying off. And so the church is like this perfect soil, this perfect environment in which God can take his chisel. And he's so committed that he's willing to put his chisel on us and say, I have a vision of what we can be and what you can look like growing up into fullness of maturity with God, that I'm going to put people around you that will serve like chisels. And you might be a chisel for somebody else. Don't wear that as a badge of honor that you're somebody's chisel. <laughs> And the reason I know this, if you look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount or the Lord's Prayer, the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer is 
plural. It's not for an individual, right? And so the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest sermon, is for community. He gave it so that it would be lived out in community. I love this quote by um, an author named Douglas Jones in his book, uh, Dismissing Jesus. He says this. He says, the sermon, uh, Sermon on the Mount is not a code for individual behavior. It is given to the church, and the church has to take the lead in living it in community. People who try it on their own quickly burn out. It is made to crush the individual but give life to the church. So we live out Jesus' longest sermon in community. So in a sense, you could say God's commitment to the church, God is committed to allowing your Christian walk to fail when you try and live it alone. He's committed to allowing your walk to fail when you try and live it alone. So he's placed us in this soil for you to grow and to be sanctified. The church is the perfect soil for self-denial. The church is the perfect soil for self-denial. The enemy just says, just walk away from it. It's not worth it. You don't need this extra drama in your life. Just walk away. Just slowly fade out the back door and just don't come back. And we listen to him a lot of times. But God, the one who's committed to the thing, says, no, 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 this is where... This is where I form you. These are the relationships where I, this relationship is going to push you to self-denial. Why does self-denial matter? Well, because if you want to follow Christ, he said, take up your cross, deny yourself, right, and follow me. And so if you don't or if you want to serve yourself, you're just not going to like the church. If we want to serve ourselves, the church is not the place us. The conditions of this place and these people are completely upstream by design by God. And so this, if you think about the church that you're in in Exchange Church, man, this is the place he's set our feet and these are the people that he's set us with. And so don't miss what he's doing. Like don't miss why he's brought these fragments into your life and why you're in somebody else's life. It's because he's committed to shaping you. Next point is this. He is committed to um, using us as part of something bigger than us. He's committed to using us as part of something bigger than us. Can can you believe that God even allows us in the door? Like there's certain places you're like, I probably shouldn't step foot foot in here. We should feel like that at the church, right? Like I probably don't belong here. But God says, no, 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 I'm inviting you to come into this thing because I'm committed to using you you as part of something bigger than you. And Lord knows we need to be a part of something bigger than us. A lot of us live tiny, tiny dreams. And we say like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big big deal. And God's like, exactly. It's not a big deal. The stuff you're trying to excuse is not a big deal. It's time you start living into a big deal. So I'm going to give you a big deal. And the big deal is called the church. So he's rescuing us out of a small deal and he's trying to invite us into a big deal. C.S. Lewis said it like, like this. He said, God commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly in the twinkling of an eye. It's like, God, why don't you just do it? You're so much better at this. Why would you, why would you invite us? And it's like the mom and the little kid who wants to crack the eggs and make the omelet. And she's like, I'm much better, Bluey. And she's like, I'm much better at cracking the eggs than you are. And, uh, but she lets the kid do it. You know, God's like, it brings me great joy to watch us crack the eggs imperfectly and do. But it's the way he's designed it. I don't know why. It's not the way I would do it. But the way he's designed it is to invite us in and say, um, I want to partner with you. I love what John Tyson says. He says, God didn't want a domain to dominate, but a people to partner with. Incredible. We're those people. We're those people as part of a Church, And so the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000, like what, what, a, what a great picture of Jesus bringing, you know, he gets this little, little boy, little boy brings what he has to offer. He's got some fish, he's got some loaves. And then, and he uses what that little boy brings to the picture. And then he uses his 12 disciples to pass out all of the food. Did he need them to do that? No. Did he need the little boy's fish and loaves? No. 
but he invites us in and then he delegates his ministry to people like us. So he's using us as part of something that's just way bigger than us. Do you want, you want to go a little bit bigger on that? Let's go a little bit bigger. He invites us together as the church to um, this term, to advance the kingdom. What does that mean? To advance the kingdom, to actually spread the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in the earth. And yes, there's the Great Commission, you know, where he's calling us to go and preach the gospel to the nations, disciple them, make disciples. But another way, and probably the most, um, I don't know, uh, accessible way for us to advance the kingdom is by prayer. And so prayer is not a spiritual gift, is it? Is that in the list of spiritual gifts? No, it's not. Prayer is not a gift. Every Christian has the ability to pray. And so all of us can pray. And so I think that's probably, when it comes to advancement of the kingdom, that's probably where God wants to start with us. Because we're, we're the guys like, I, I, I want to I play shortstop. And he's like, well, you don't play short. You can't even throw the ball. Like, well, come on, man. Be a good teammate in the dugout. And so for us, I think God says, like, no, 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 let's advance the kingdom from a low, 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 low posture of, of prayer. Doug mentioned this. September 9th, uh, Ross and Suzanne Inman are holding a prayer training. How, how many of you guys have been to that prayer training before? We've done it twice before. Okay. Uh, if your hand was raised, uh, there's a 1,000% chance that you forgot most of it because I've been twice and I forgot most of it. So this is not rude. If you want to open up your church center app right now and you want to look at that prayer training that is on September 9th, go to um, registrations and look up that prayer training. And I want you to look at your calendar and say, what am I doing September 9th? Is this just like a prayer training from nine to three where we're just going to eat some food and snacks and talk about how we can be feel guilty for not, not praying. That's not what it is. This is literally like a mobilization effort to say, do we want to advance the kingdom? Let's start in a low place as a people who literally can fight the enemy together. We can fight the enemy together. Because here's the deal in the church. We have, we have a common enemy and the enemy is not each other. The enemy wants to keep us off our knees because we literally push back darkness through prayer. We literally, kingdom prayer is literally storming the gates of hell. That's what it is. And so if you want to come to this prayer training, we should probably rename the name of it, storming the gates of hell training. So I want you to look at that registration I'm serious, I want you to, and I don't do this for everything. I want you to look at that registration and I want you to ask God to give you an excuse why you shouldn't come. I've already been to this. Sign up again. I don't know about this. I'm nervous to pray in front of people. That's not what it's about. It's not about learning how to pray in front of people. It's about us taking the low place as a church, as a people to unify together, to advance the kingdom and storm the gates of hell. So that's a small plug for the uh, prayer training. The other thing Brian and I are going to start start doing, even starting this Wednesday morning, Brian and I just decided we we it's weird being up here. It's weird being up here, like a couple steps above you guys. I don't I don't love it. I'd rather be in conversation and dialogue with you around the table. But we Brian and I on Wednesday mornings at seven o'clock in the flex space are just going to open up the flex space just to pray. We just want to give you an opportunity just to pray with your pastors and pray with each other. And we're not going to, it's not going to be awkward. We're just going to plead with the Lord for our church. And we're going to plead for this series. And we're going to plead for our, our hearts. Seven o'clock, at least through, through this series, Wednesday mornings, if you can make it, uh, we would love to see you there this Wednesday at seven o'clock. Let me read one verse in, in Romans. It's not on the screen. Romans 16, this might be a verse you've never seen. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Whose feet are those? 
the church. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He's talking about us. And so like I'm trying to invite us, myself, my family, us as a church to enter into those places where we can do, be part of something that is bigger than us. And so that's what God's committed to. Lastly, guys, this. He's committed to um, putting himself on display. He's committed to putting himself on display. First Corinthians 12, again, back to our starting passage where he talks about the body. Just this image of the body shows us that he's committed to putting himself on display. When it says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so you are the body of Christ. The physical body of Christ is no longer with us. Where is the body of Christ? How do we know what the body of Christ looks like? You're looking at it. This is the body of Christ. For Christ is a great song that says, like, he has no hands he has no hands uh, now but ours. He has no feet now but ours. He has no mouth now but ours. He has no eyes now but ours. His heart now is expressed through us. So God is so committed to the church that he would give us that responsibility that he literally is displaying himself through the church. Well, how do we display Christ? Be the church. Ephesians 3 10 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How will God make himself known? Right? Through the church. That the manifold, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. How will people know? By the church. How will they know? Look at John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give you, Jesus he says that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how people will know is the way that we operate as a church. He billboards himself. He puts himself on a billboard, and that billboard is called the church. That's his billboard of himself. So what picture are we putting forth of him? Man, we're a city on a hill. Right? And we, we're casting this hopeful light to the world as a church. So he's committed to putting himself on display through us. Remember when Paul was, being, Paul was uh, persecuting the church and Jesus came to Saul and he said, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, I'm not persecuting you, Jesus. I'm persecuting the church. Jesus is saying, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting my body. So he makes that direct connection of like, this is me. And so he's putting himself on display through the church. That's just the first picture we're gonna roll. The next one's not as long, I promise. The body, see why I didn't do all, all seven pictures. God is committed to his church as his bride. Oh baby, here we go. He's committed to loving his church for better or worse. Is God committed to this thing? Oh man. He's committed to loving his church, his bride, for better or for worse. See, the Bible begins and ends with a wedding. Did you ever think about that? It begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. You've got this picture in Genesis 1 and 2 of a man and woman getting married. And even this picture of God kind of marrying his people. And the Bible ends with this picture. If you want to go to the very end of the story, we know how the story ends. Here it is. Revelation 19, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints jump, jump over to chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down, so heaven comes to us, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a what? As a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning nor crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Behold, I'm making all things new. And so you've got this picture of the beginning of the Bible. It's this wedding. End of the Bible, it's this wedding. You've got this bride that he's ultimately committed to. And the middle of the Bible, this massive chunk that you try and read beginning in January 1st every year, this is a love story. This thing is about this God that's ridiculously committed in this relentless commitment and pursuit to a fiance. To his bride. It, ta- it takes this. <laughs> it takes all of this to tell you how committed he is that ends in a wedding. And there's all through the prophets, you see, man, if you want to read some dicey stuff, in Lamentations 1, there's some things that are said about uh, the, um, the bride who um, commits adultery and runs elsewhere. And Jeremiah, he has some names that he uses. But you see this picture of God being jealous for his bride. Imagine that. Just imagine, I don't know everybody's story in the room. This may have happened, and I apologize if this is your story. But, man, I think about, like, all the work that it took to get, like, that engagement ring and, like, to scrape up my little measly college dollars and, like, buy that thing and make sure I don't lose that thing or drop it down a drainage pipe or something like that and, and, and give it to this person and ask her, will you be my wife for the rest of time? And she puts that on, and then she goes and runs after somebody else. Just imagine the feeling of like her running, pursuing another person. And the groom wants her whole heart toward him and him alone. And this is the deal. And this is the thing about next year and the thing about right now. All day, every day, the world is constantly saying, will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you give your full allegiance to me? Who will you endorse? Who will you give your allegiance to? Where will you give your first fruits? Will you marry me instead? Where will you give your heart? Where will you give your Sabbath? We see more advertisements in 30 minutes than our grandparents saw in like 30 days or 30 weeks. It's constantly, will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you give your heart to this? Will you give your heart to this? Will you give your heart to this? And for us, when the world is saying, will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you marry me? We as a church say, no, 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 no. I'm engaged. This heart is taken. I'm his fiance. There's gonna be a wedding. And he's committed to me. He's committed us, and he's committed to the beauty of this, of this bride. And people say, I'm just going to, I'm going to walk away from the church. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, man. Oh, no, no, no. Remember the story? Man, you can't walk away from that. You can't walk away from a story of a, a groom pursuing his fiance and his bride, and man, he's already making wedding plans. No, 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 no. Don't walk away. So he's committed to loving his church for better or for worse. Last thing, I promise, he is committed to presenting the bride beautiful in the end. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, (laughs) without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so he's committed to making us into something. He takes these persons and makes us a people, and then he makes us into a certain type of people. This people he's committed to forming and shaping and growing, and he makes us into this beautiful, beautiful bride that he, that he presents, that he might present the church to whom? To himself. And so if you want to ask if God's committed to his church, man, start with the end. The end is this picture of the back of the doors of the church opening up or wherever you choose to get married in a barn or whatever. And there's this bride there, this presented bride that is more beautiful than you could ever 
imagine because it's like I said in Revelation 19, he gave her the clothes. He gave her the clothes which were very ill-fitting, but it's this dress that's beautiful because they now are true about her. If you've ever seen me officiate a wedding, please don't look at me. Please don't look at me um, when that bride walks in the room. I just cry. It's just what I do. I just, I'm so glad everybody's turned and looking at her because I just stand up there. I'm supposed to be professional, but I just cry. Because every time, A, I think about my own wife, and B, I think about the end, the story right here, and what that's supposed to represent. Uh, one day, I'm going to try and get through this one. One day, uh, I will stand at the back of a church. <laughs> and I, I love this. I've got two sons, and I've got two daughters. Ah. <laughs> I think it's hard now. Okay. Um, and like, I, I, you know, every, every dad feels like this, but like, my daughter is beautiful. She's like strikingly beautiful. I'm talking about the one who's probably going to get married first. I hope, Haley, I hope you get married before Annie. That would be, she's seven years older, or six, six years older. Um, but like until that day, what I'm doing right now is I'm committing to prepare her for that day. And so if somebody asked me on that morning, how are you doing, Dad? I'm going to be like, it's hard. But you know what? Her mother and I have spent the last 20 years preparing her for this. And so I, I will look at her in the back of the church. We will have a moment, and I will look at her, and I can probably tell you right now what I will say. I will say, I always knew you could look like this. I always knew you could look like this because I believe that when Christ meets us, he will say, I always knew you could look like this. And he's so committed to that picture. This uh, dress that's ill-fitting, and we're like, I can't, we can't be a bride. Why would you call us a bride? We're so messy, and we've got mud all over us, and we just don't belong here. But he says, Christ took your place. And he makes it fitting for you to be in this place. The other thing that I do at weddings when I officiate weddings is when that bride comes in and I'm trying to wipe my own tears away, I love to look at the groom. Everybody's looking at the bride except for the mother of the groom, but I love to look at the groom. I did one wedding where this, this groom, I swear, like his face exploded. Like he just had like Victoria Falls just... I was like, I did not know that much water existed inside of a human being. <laughs> he just lost it. And it was wonderful because he's been longing for that. And so I think, man, as God committed to his bride, he looks like that. He calls us his body. He calls us his bride. He's committed. And when he sees us, it's not like, ah, there's the old exchange church again. I got stories about you. It's there you are. And I always knew you could look like this. And I've been preparing you from the beginning of time to come and meet me like this. There will be a wedding. And we'll be a part of it. And we're much better if we do it together. So when we say welcome to the church, welcome to church. We say welcome to the body of Christ. Welcome to the bride of Christ. How would you not want to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, we are really humbled that you love us. And even in this moment, we need um, even more humility to realize how much we don't belong. But Christ in our place gives us access. And so God, we just thank you for the thing that really unifies us as a church, which is the gospel, which is your love uh, for us. And God, we do know how that story ends and we, uh, we're really, really looking forward to it. We can't wait to see you. 
on that day, but this day you've put us here with these people in this place. And so God, would you help us learn about commitment? Would you help us learn over the next 12 weeks what it looks like to be a part of something that's way bigger than us? To commit to things that are just eternal and so big and vast and meaningful and significant and that that can have purpose this Sunday and next Sunday and this week and next week. So God, help us to grow as a church. Help us to humble ourselves, put ourselves in the low spot, teach us how to pray, teach us how to love one another, teach us how to impact the world, teach us how to be faithful, teach us how to be obedient, all through the power of your Holy Spirit. We need you, we love you, and we thank you. God, we're all about your glory, just like you are. All about your glory. May exchange be a billboard that shows you rightly, even more so from today forward. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.